Well, good morning, BCC. Good morning. Oh, that was enthusiastic. I like that. This is going to be a, a good time together. I am excited to be able to continue through our series, going through the book of James verse by verse. I really enjoy just studying and actually teaching the Bible that way. I think it's just a great uh, thing for us to do. Today we're going to cover chapter 3, but before we do that, why don't we go ahead and start off in Matthew chapter 12, which is where I would like for us to kind of launch from, and then we'll go over to James chapter 3. And as you're going there, I just wanted to tell you that today we're going to be talking about the power of our words. And we often understand this at a basic level, where we know words are important, right? And there's a high degree of practicality to this teaching in James chapter 3, where James begins to let us know, basically, our words are really important. And at a base level, I think that we all understand that because we know words can hurt, words can inspire, words can convict, words can instruct us, they can challenge us, words can even change minds. But if they are so powerful, as I believe we all understand that they are, I think that we should give a great more uh, degree of attention to how we use them. We should be much more mindful of how we use them because God has a lot to say in the scripture about the power of our words. And here's something I want us to always remember. Your words are never void of power. They always have power. Always. They are never void of power. And God cares about them very much because they are a window to your heart. So let's read what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 in verse 33. Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. <clears throat> I don't like that. Um, because I talk a lot. And I use a lot of words. And when I read that I'm going to give account for every idle word spoken, man, that really puts a lot of responsibility on us for the way that we use our words. Because Jesus lets us know that it's a thing that really goes all the way back to our heart. And he says out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths are going to speak. Which means that whatever is in us the most is going to come out. And we can fool one another being all nicey-nice and using nice words in the right situations. But eventually, at some point, Whatever I put in myself the most, whatever I'm investing in my heart the most, whatever I'm surrounding myself with the most, as these things continually influence my heart, as these things continually tank up in my heart, they are going to come out. And out of that overflow, that's where my mouth is going to speak. And Jesus said that this is a heart issue, and he likens it to a tree. And he's speaking directly in this context to the Pharisees, and he's calling them out on their hypocrisy because he's telling them, listen, you're either going to have a good root system, a good foundation system, 
and you're going to be pulling from good nutrients and this tree is going to be healthy, thus making the fruit of that tree or the evidence or the result of all the things that are going on beneath the surface you can't see, you're going to make the fruit good and then we'll know that the tree is good. We'll be able to say that is a healthy tree and there are the right things flowing in that tree and the right things happening because we can tell by the evidence. And the same is true of the bad tree. If it's a bad tree, we're going to know because of the fruit that it is producing. And then he says that I tell you on the day of judgment, people are going to give account for every careless word that they speak. And when I see that, my mind immediately goes to the scripture in Proverbs, and it's various places where the same idea is communicated. But the one that I'm most familiar with is Proverbs 9 and 10, where the writer of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's break this down a little bit. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. It's me being able to properly discern and understand the things that I know translate into my lifestyle. That's using wisdom when I'm applying knowledge correctly. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning, it's the foundation of me correctly applying the things that I know, what I'm missing isn't more knowledge. What I'm missing is not a lack of information because we live in a day and age where there's information abounding, right? You can find any preacher saying anything you want to hear. You can read any blog, see any YouTuber. You can go and read any book. I mean, the information that we, live, that, that we have available to us is just unprecedented. So it's not a lack of information that we need, but for me to be able to correctly apply that information, that knowledge that I have, that is wisdom. And I can't begin to do that correctly until Proverbs says, I fear the Lord. And that fear of the Lord in my just modern day translation would say, it's me taking God seriously. In other words, when God says something, he actually means it. He's not suggesting it. He's saying, this is who I am. This is my value system. This is how I expect my people to live. This is what I'm calling you to. This is what I'm calling you away from. And when I began to have that type of attitude and that type of approach to the scripture, it becomes transformational because now I'm not just taking it as more information or more suggestions or more tips or how-tos. I'm going, wow, God really means this and I'm taking this seriously. When I approach the scriptures that way, then I can begin to correctly apply the knowledge that I am learning and have learned because I'm starting with this foundation of the fear of the Lord. When I read Matthew chapter 12, and I think about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One understanding. And I see that I'm going to give an account for every idle word and that what comes out of my mouth matters a lot to God because it reveals something in my heart. God expects us to take that seriously. Amen? I mean, he's not messing around. He's not saying, hey, you know, be nice to each other. Say some nice words. Stop saying bad words. Like, you know, if you feel like it. You know, if, you, if the mood hits you. If someone does good to you, do good to them. No. He's saying, no, you're to be speaking things that are edifying because God wants us to realize that our words are never void of power. And they are a window to our heart. Let's go over to James, and that's where 
we're going to hang out the rest of our time together here today. James chapter 3. And James deals with, in the context of these 18 verses, specifically about the power of our words, the very thing we just read Jesus talk about in Matthew chapter 12. James chapter 3, let's just read this whole thing. And let's just kind of deal with this as, as, we, as we read it. I don't like the way it opens, by the way. Um, <clears throat> because it says this, verse 1, James chapter 3, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I don't like that. Um, I, I, because I know, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that I am going to be, as a teacher of the Word of God, judged with a greater degree of strictness simply because of the position of influence that God has given me to teach the Word of God, and the way I handle the Word of God matters. The way that people who teach the Word of God handle the Word of God matters a lot. And so it's very important that I make sure that I'm doing my due diligence to study, to show myself approved, a workman, you know, who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing that word of truth. I need to make sure that I am diligently studying, that I'm being that person who is uh, making sure I'm rightly dividing this by keeping it in context, looking at the original intent, that I'm using a healthy hermeneutic to be able to convey the scripture to you. I need to make sure that I do that because what I say matters a lot. And God said that those who are teachers, man, you don't just go out there wanting to sign up to be a teacher because there's a stricter judgment that comes with that because you're given a position of influence and it's going to matter a lot how you're influencing those minds and hearts with the way that you handle the scripture. And I take that very seriously and in the context here, remember, James is combating this issue of Gnosticism and Gnosticism was a belief that was perpetuating, you know, and infiltrating itself into a lot of camps during that day that had a degree of popularity because it was primarily built off of mental ascent of these different angelic levels of revelation. There were believed to be the secret angelic levels of revelation, almost like a, a ladder you could climb within the company to make yourself more spiritual or to exalt yourself by what you knew. And so the higher up this ladder you climbed, the more um, that you grew in mental ascent. Now James also combats that idea in the chapter we read last week because he talks about faith without works is dead. So he's trying to also communicate, listen, it's great you guys have all this knowledge, but where's the fruit? Where's the application? Where's the works? If you say you can show me this faith by, uh, by just uh, non-acting, he said, I'll show you my faith by my actions and by what I do. And so he combats this idea, and here again he's dealing with Gnosticism by talking about the dangers in people who are growing in mental ascent wanting to go teach and tell everything that they know. He's saying, you, you grew in this mental ascent, you grew in knowledge, and you, now all of a sudden you think you're qualified to be a teacher, and you want to go run and tell everybody everything that you know and gather people for you to be able to instruct them, because now you think you're this elevated teacher. He said, actually, nah, pump the brakes on that one, pump the brakes on it. Don't just jump into being a teacher because your words matter. Because what you say and what you teach and how you handle it matters, and there's actually going to be a stricter judgment for those who are teaching. For we all stumble, verse 2, in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. 
If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the, in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus said it this way. He said, bless are the peacemakers. It is a blessing to be someone who is bringing peace. It is not a blessing to be someone who is sowing strife, discord, and using your words to gossip, to backbite, to sow division among the members. That is not God honoring. And we understand that what comes out of our mouth matters a lot, but a lot of times we get caught up in criticism and we get caught up in gossip because Sometimes, man, it's fun to be talking about those things with other people, and we get caught up in these cycles that we just can't get off of the hamster wheel of negativity and criticism, because a lot of us, the foundation of certain relationships has been built on the things we don't like. I know that I had a friend for about 15 years, and I hate to say that it was that long, but it's the truth. It was about 15 years we had a conversation, an ongoing conversation, about a pastor that we did not like. And that's how he and I became friends. We really weren't that good of friends before. We knew each other, you know, knew of each other. But then one day, I opened up and began to say, man, I just don't like that this guy does this and this. He said, oh, me neither. And did you know he did this and this and this? All of a sudden, a friendship was formed. And the friendship was formed based off of the things we didn't like about another person. And that began to fuel our relationship for the next 15 years. So when we would talk, even when I moved away, we would talk on the phone. Hey, guess what? He did this and this and this and this. And I'd go, oh, yeah, do you remember back 10 years ago when he did this and this and this and this? Oh, yeah. And we would get all fired up and excited about it like it had just happened yesterday. But it had been 10, 15 years removed from it. The foundation of our relationship was built on the fact that we both were criticizing 
another person. And I know that no one here does that at all, so maybe you can take this and that can help you in other relationships that you have. And we all can get suckered into this. Every one of us can get suckered into this because we can have a foundation of a relationship that's unhealthy. I had to realize that that relationship was unhealthy and I had to confront that person and say, hey, this isn't healthy, what we've been doing all these years, had to repent. And now me and that person just don't talk all that often because that was the foundation. That was really all we shared in common was our disdain for another person. And that's not God honoring. And I knew that, but man, it just felt so good in the moment to criticize. And sometimes we'll be offended. We'll be upset at another person or a group of people. And we will go share that offense with another person. And that person doesn't even know those people. And you share your offense with them and all of a sudden they're offended at someone they've never even met before. It's like you shared your offense and disdain for this person and that negativity has just, just been able to be infectious to where now other people are mad about stuff they weren't involved in and mad at people they've never even met and don't even know. And they're just upset and all in arms about it. And this creates this toxic type of environment that's not God-honoring. And it permeates throughout businesses and companies. It permeates throughout families and pockets and factions of friendships. And yes, I know it's hard to believe, even in the church. Things like this creep into the church and divide us. And they cause us to backbite and to gossip and to complain and to criticize, and we develop a critical spirit, and it's almost like it's not right if something ain't wrong. And we just get so focused on negativity, and we don't realize the seriousness of the words we're speaking and the power of our words, and we're not evaluating that window to our heart and where all of this is coming from, because we like to be right. And sometimes we like to be right more than we fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, my friends, is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. James says this. He says that how can salt water and fresh water come out of the same opening? He's like, it can't, right? How can you have a pond that both has salt water and fresh water? He says that's not how it works. It's either going to produce salt water or it's going to produce fresh water. He gives this illustration about this idea of how can blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth? How can, going back to Jesus's analogy, how can a tree both yield good fruit and bad fruit? This shouldn't be the case. The tree is gonna be known by its fruit. The words we speak matter. They're never void of power. So we need to pray for and look to encourage other people, not criticize and gossip, and use our words in that way. Because whatever measure we use to judge with is the same measure that's going to be used against us, as scripture says. So put the right things in your heart and the right things will come out. And I know that at a basic level, we know this, but it becomes so hard to do because those things become so tempting to us because we like feeling right. And I've got to fear God more than I like being right, amen, church? Your words are always doing one of two things. Always, always, always. Your words are always doing one of two things. They're either building up or they're tearing down. 
And now when we hear that phrase, we can say, yeah, well, I want my words to always build up. Well, sometimes your words need to tear down. Tearing down is not always a bad thing. I don't want us to get in that mindset of thinking just because words are tearing down, they're bad, because sometimes there need to be some lies that are torn down. Sometimes there needs to be strongholds in our lives that are torn down. There needs to be paradigm shifts. There needs to be things that we have come to have uh, certain perspectives on that need to be dismantled and torn down, but your words are always building up or they are tearing down. They are never void of power. We need to understand that wisdom is discerning which words are needed in what context and in which situation. When we're not wise and when we are selfish, we will be in a situation where there needs to be a building up and instead of a building up, we are tearing down. And there are certain situations where certain ideologies and mentalities and beliefs and paradigms need to be dismantled and torn down and instead we'll passively just keep building up and, and not helping people to see the truth. And so both of those tactics and strategies are needed in the life of a believer, but the wise person is growing in discerning whether or not I should use my words in this situation to speak something that's going to build up or something that is going to help to tear something that needs to be torn down, down. Wisdom is using your words correctly in the given situation because how can blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth? What is in our heart matters a whole lot. A critical spirit is rooted in selfishness. When our lives are driven by criticism and we're constantly criticizing other people, and we're constantly criticizing the boss, we're constantly criticizing um, our spouse, we're constantly criticizing our parents or our kids, or we're constantly criticizing the church leadership, or we're constantly criticizing our neighbor because they don't know how often you should mow your yard. You know, <laughs> if we're constantly speaking ne negativity and we're constantly criticizing, it's coming from a root of selfishness. Criticism and gossip would have to be in your heart in abundance for it to come out of your mouth. If what Jesus said is true, and I'm siding with him, okay? Um, if what Jesus said is true, and it is, that out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth is gonna speak, then if I'm constantly speaking critical words and I'm always being critical of other people, then that stuff is in my heart. And that should cause me to take a pause and evaluate what I've allowed to influence my heart and my life and my mind. It's very important for us as Christians to take those moments to evaluate our hearts lest we slowly drift away from living a life that's gonna please and honor God and we drift into selfishness because we're surrounding ourselves with people who are pulling at us, people and situations and negative things that are feeding our flesh and feeding our selfishness and we begin to like those things more than we consider and weigh the fear of the Lord. And when we seek to please God and we walk in that fear of the Lord and we take God seriously, it should cause a healthy disruption to happen when we begin to drift that should help us to be jarred, to go, wait a minute, I've been speaking negatively a lot. Man, and we need other people in our lives that can hold us accountable to be able to say, man, you know, you've been speaking negatively and been criticizing a lot. What's going on? Like, what are you surrounding yourself with? Like, what, what types of conversations are you having around the dinner table? 
Uh, are you in the scriptures? Are you, are you a person who's spending time with the Lord? You know, can we pray instead of constantly criticize? Let's instead redirect our hearts a different way so that we can be in that atmosphere and that environment. Because we get disillusioned often as Christians to think that just because I know a lot of things, that's all that's required, and we seek more information. But that information, if we're truly walking in the fear of the Lord and taking God seriously, should lead to transformation. Not just my, my brain getting, getting more information stored in it. Not just me getting a big head of all of this great knowledge. That was the problem that James was dealing with and addressing in the churches of that day. Everybody wanted to know more, but there was very little fruit. Everyone wanted another class. Everyone wanted another uh, 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 revelation. Everyone wanted another like wow moment. Everyone was seeking these things. And James was like, no, stop seeking these things. Begin to apply the stuff that you know. That's why he said in the very first chapter of his letter to the churches that if you're like this guy who like looks in a mirror and then you turn away from that mirror and forget what you look like, you're double-minded. You're hearing one thing and, and you're going out and doing another. You're hearing all the right things. You may be even saying all the right things, but your actions are showing something else. And then he reiterates this idea in chapter 2 where he talks about faith without works is dead. He's stringing all of this together as pearls of wisdom. And he's trying to help those people and us today by the power of the Holy Spirit understand that our words matter and what we allow in our hearts matter a great deal. And if we continually get caught up in this cycle of self, then you and I are going to miss out on truly living the life that is going to bring honor and glory to God because we're filling ourselves with negativity and it's like drinking poison and hoping someone else gets sick. It doesn't make any sense for us to go down that road at all. It's just making you sicker. And I hope that as we read the scriptures, it will jar us enough to help us evaluate to lead us to a place of evaluation of the words coming out of our mouth and lead us to a place of repentance so that we can begin to put the right things in so the right things will come out. And we all can drift, all of us. You may be there right now where maybe you're being jarred, but maybe you've already been dealing with this and you're trying to be um, a person who is, is being edified to continue to be reminded to speak the things that are going to be honoring to God and have that heart anchored in the good things of God. Because a heart anchored in the gospel is going to overflow with evidence of the Spirit of God on the inside of you. What's another good word for evidence? Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is going to be evident in our lives, not just by what we say, but also by what we do. But part of what we say, man, that th those words are going to be words of life. They're going to be words of love. They're going to be words of peace, words of truth, words of joy and gentleness. We're going to be speaking those things that God would have us to speak because they're in our heart flowing in abundance. A heart anchored in love is going to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And James dealt with this over in chapter one where we need to be slow to speak and quick to to listen. And if I'm anchored in love, I'm going to have that type of approach and tactic in my life. 
Because when I'm anchored in love, I'm going to give other people a measure of grace that was distributed to me. I'm going to give people mercy that was shown to me. I'm going to be a distributor of those things because I'm not going to be quick to cast judgment, quick to criticize, quick to speak negatively of other people, quick to cause divisions because, man, I like being right. I mean, we all like it. We can all get addicted to it. We love, especially when we're proven right, the I told you so conversations, right? We can really enjoy those a lot where we go, see, I told you so. I knew that was going to happen because I told you they did this and this and this and they should have done this and this and this and this. And we're speaking all this negativity and it's not edifying to the body of Christ. It's not, it's not doing the things that would honor and please God. And so a lot of times when we just pump the brakes and we slow down and we're anchored in love and we're caring for the person, it's going to help us to actually listen a lot quicker. That's going to be the priority instead of us just speaking. Instead of us just giving our opinion or our two cents, we're going to be quick to actually go, wait, let me listen to what's really going on here. Lord, help me discern this. Help me actually understand what my spouse is trying to say. Lord, help me understand what's actually going on because I, I, I love these people and I want to love these people the way you love them. And if I love them the way you love them, help me to treat them the way you would want me to treat them. So let me listen to hear what they may actually be saying so that you can help me discern what's really going on in this situation and in their life. So I can then use my words that I'm going to be slower to speak with to actually have wisdom. Is there a lie that needs to be torn down here? Or is there some truth that needs to be spoken? Or is there something that needs to be built up? What needs to happen here, Lord? I can only do that when I am anchored in love and I am slow to speak and I am quick to listen. And so this comes through us submitting our heart to Christ where we say, Lord, your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And we know this, right? Like we know God is smarter than us. Then why do we keep trying to do things in our own strength if we know God is smarter than us? If we know that his will and his way is better than our will and our way. We know this stuff. But if we live like it, we're going to begin to speak like it. And we're going to begin to have the fruit of someone who is submitted. And Lord said, Lord, your way, not mine. Because, oh, my way, I want retribution. My way, I want revenge. My way, I want these certain outcomes when I want them. But instead, Lord, trusting in you and submitting to you requires that I lay all of that at the feet of Jesus, that I lay all of my opinions at the feet of Jesus, that I lay all that negativity at his feet, I lay all of that woundedness at his feet, I lay all of that anger, all of that hurt at his feet, because he is more than enough. It's not Jesus plus me getting my way equals everything. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Not Jesus plus my way, you know. It's not Jesus helps me get my way. No, it's Lord help me submit to your way because I'm going to trust that your way is better than mine. I'm going to submit to that because you are enough. You are everything that I need. Knowledge alone cannot achieve this because faith without works is dead. We must learn, church, to be hearers and doers of the word. Otherwise, we are, as James says, deceiving ourselves. And I preach this message today uh, motivated by a desire for us to be honest. 
and evaluate our hearts to not deceive ourselves. I don't want us to be a church full of people who just know a lot of stuff and have a lot of great knowledge. I want us to be people who are actually producing fruit of a knowledge of the gospel that's active, that's alive in our hearts. Something that's alive to the point that it's changing the way that I treat other people. It's changing the conversations I'll entertain. And maybe some of you have been entertaining those negative conversations around the water cooler or on Facebook or, or, or on the phone. And it's just a bunch of drama, drama, drama. And it's a bunch of heightened emotions and it's a bunch of selfishness and it, you just need to call it what it is and repent of it and acknowledge it and give voice to it and say, Lord, I acknowledge my selfishness. I have been selfish. I've been focused on myself. I've drifted away. Lord, forgive me. And maybe there's some relationships that need to be repaired. Maybe there's some people that you need to talk to. There may be people in this very room you need to talk to. There may be people that you need to make some phone calls to, that you need to take out for lunch or to coffee or whatever the case may be. Maybe some conversations you need to have to begin to, to, to make amends, to reconcile, to ask forgiveness because you've been speaking negatively, because you've been criticizing, because you've been coming from this place of selfishness that now you're just seeing, man, I, I want to fear the Lord. I want to be a person that takes God seriously because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For me to do that, oh my goodness, the humility required to do that is intense. But we have to humble ourselves under God's hand. We have to humble ourselves and trust that his ways are better than our ways. We have to trust that he knows better. And if we really take this seriously, I mean, if we're not playing games, if we really are taking this seriously, we will obey. We will take that next step of faith. I don't know how it's gonna turn out. I don't know what the other person's gonna do. I don't know how they're gonna react. I don't know how they're gonna respond. And you gotta be careful Sometimes when you look to step out and reconcile and make amends, that you temper your expectations because the other person may not respond the way you want them to. And then you'll get like re-offended. I don't want to see you get re-offended just because someone doesn't meet your expectations. Uh, you're not doing this just for them. You're, you're doing this because it's what God has commanded you to do. And you're submitted to him. So no matter how they react, no matter how they respond. You're doing this because you want to please the Lord and seek pleasing Him above pleasing man. And you want to do this because it's bringing honor and glory to God. Surround yourself with those healthy influences. Surround yourself with those things that you can invest in your heart. And I promise you, if you invest enough of those right things in you, that those things will come out. They'll just begin to come out of you to where it will be that pure stream not that contaminated one, that it will be that healthy fruit, not the contaminated fruit. Those good things will come out and it will be evidence. So here's what we have to do. We have to be intentional in building others up and in tearing the lies of the enemy down. We have to be intentional. That means sometimes when you're starting out on this journey or maybe you're trying to course correct in this journey, that it doesn't feel natural. It feels counterintuitive. It may feel counterintuitive for some of you to go, you know what, I, I can't participate in this conversation. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm wanting to take God seriously because I'm gonna give an account for idle words and I wanna make sure we're building up where we need to build up and we're speaking truth and love. And can I tell you 
that the caveat that a lot of us give of, well, I'd say it to their face, doesn't work in the eyes of God. A lot of us, when we say, well, I'd say it to their face, and God goes, oh, okay, well, if you'd say it to their face, then, yeah, absolutely, it's, it, it's okay. That's not how it works. It's something going on in your heart. It, it should, should be diagnostic of what's going on in your heart. Lord, I'm angry towards this person. What is going on in me that's not pleasing to you? Lord, I want to see this person fail, or I want to see this happen, or I'm speaking and constantly drawn toward negativity about this group or that group or this situation. What is going on in me? A lot of times people hear messages like this and many others where they're going, man, I wish so-and-so was here today. Well, they're not. You are. <laughs> And God knew you were going to be here today. And God knew you were going to hear his word being taught in this manner. And so it's not, oh man, I wish so-and-so was here. It's, Lord, what does this mean for me here today? What is the Holy Spirit trying to do in you? Not in that person that you need to make sure that you send them the link. <laughs> but the person that is sitting here in this room, what does this mean for you? Because we don't have this all figured out. I don't have this all figured out. Amen? I, I don't, you guys. I still slip up. I, and then I read, I read this and I see, oh my goodness. Wow. I, I, I need to evaluate this. And it's not, a, it's not a just trying to make you feel bad thing. It's a, it's a heart check. It's a diagnostic for us to make sure we're being intentional by building other people up. That we're being intentional with godly speech and influences and surrounding ourselves with those types of things. If you're struggling, if, if you're in a situation where maybe you're like, well, Pastor Derek, you just don't understand. I work in a very negative environment. I'm surrounded by negative people all day in the office or on the job and man, it's just really hard. Okay, you know that. And I know you get sucked into it because right now it's, it's tough. So because you know that, be proactive with that knowledge. And before you go to work, maybe you need to make sure you have spent time in the Word of God pouring enough good things in you so when the world tries to take something from you, good things come out. Spend that time in the Word. Surround yourself with the things of God proactively, knowing that you're going to be in that environment. I get that you're in that environment, but maybe God wants to use you to be that light in the darkness. Maybe, maybe it's not the job change you need. Maybe it's seeing your purpose differently in that negative environment by being a light with the gospel that you are called to carry. Maybe God has put you there for this time because there are people there who are lost, dying, and going to hell that need someone to show them what a life transformed by the gospel looks like and needs to share the truth about Jesus Christ with them. But you've got to be a person who's intentional. You've got, to, you've got to be on purpose, filling yourself with those things. And when you fill yourself with those things, those things will begin to come out. So fill it. Fill yourself up of godly things, of the word, of prayer, of being around godly people. Fill yourself up with those things in abundance. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. Amen? So Lord, help us do this. We all struggle, every one of us. And we know how powerful that such a small member of our body is 
that tongue is so powerful. It can, it can, like your word says, like the rudder of a ship, turn this huge ship, or like this strong, powerful horse, and that little bit in their mouth can steer them and turn them whichever way, or like a spark to a huge fire. Lord, we, we see that, we acknowledge that, we recognize that, and Father, where we have failed, we ask you to forgive us because we all acknowledge we have failed. Where we've been selfish, where we've been critical, where we've been divisive, where we've been gossips, where we've been slandering, where we've been sowing seeds of division, Lord, we want to repent of that because we want to be peace bringers. Because Jesus, you told us we are blessed if we are bringing peace. And I want to be a peace bringer, Lord, so help me to do that. Help our church family to do that. Help us to be strong, Lord, in our pursuit of you and our dependence upon you because you are more than enough. Let our words glorify and edify you and may we speak truth in love because we are full of those things. In Jesus' name, amen.